This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Chris Wallace. Chris joined me to discuss the federal election campaign. She previews the Labor Party's chances of winning, as well as the media's important role in communicating the policies of the two major parties during this campaign. We discuss whether the media are achieving this aim. I am now joined by Associate Professor Chris Wallace, who is based at the 5050 by 2030 Foundation at the University of Canberra. She was a long-standing member of the Canberra Press Gallery and is the author of several books, including How to Win an Election, which I did chat with Chris about a couple of years ago when it came out after Labor's 2019 loss, shock loss to many. So Chris is now joining me to discuss the federal election, which she had... I guess, essentially been previewing and discussing and strategizing about way back in 2020. So I welcome Chris now and thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Now, Chris, uh, I know that you're still very much engaged in politics and writing columns uh, in the newspaper, etc., a prolific tweeter like myself, and you cover and follow it very closely. So it's great to speak But I do want to narrow in a little bit on not only the media, but also Labor and their prospects of winning this particular election, especially given the government has been in for so long, almost a decade. It's a very long time for any party to be in power. So first of all, I wanted to ask about the media coverage, because it does seem to be something that is getting people a little bit upset, confused, annoyed. Certainly I've seen that on Twitter, perhaps less so I'm sure in out and about in the quote unquote real world where most people aren't necessarily following the cut and thrust of an election campaign. But uh, there is this kind of horse race style of journalism happening, a, a bit of like who's ahead, who's behind, who won that day, who lost that day. Oh, someone's had a gaffe. Did they lose that week? Uh, which we saw with Anthony Albanese and the fact that he couldn't remember the unemployment rate was brought up for the entire week. It's still being referenced now. And then, you know, we saw a poll just a day or two ago from Resolve, which showed that the gap was narrowing between the two parties and everyone was pointing out it must be the gaffe from Anthony Albanese. I wonder what your take is on the media's role here, what they're actually doing, and uh, is it any different to when you were a journalist in the press gallery reporting on these elections? Let's attack the big one first, reporting styles. So when I joined the Canberra Press Gallery back in the day, Bob Hawke was Prime Minister, Paul Keating was Treasurer, and they'd conducted this kind of masterclass in framing reporting around policy issues. And they spent a lot of time educating journalists about policies. And even if you didn't agree with their policies, it it gave you a very strong, informed knowledge base from which to report uh, what each side of politics was doing on policy. That hasn't been the case for a very long time now. The coalition really likes football-style reporting or horse-racing-style reporting, as you as you described it then, uh, the who's up, who's down, who's just copped the big hip and shoulder, who's out for the count. They like to keep it really basic. And, of course, they've won an awful lot of elections doing that. Uh, the th- why it works for them is if it's just on the basis of personality and who's up, who's down, then people aren't paying attention to the quality of their policies, the impact of their policies, whether they're good or bad at policy, whether they're good or bad at governing, implementing policy. Uh, So by keeping attention off that, 
they really help their own political prospects. And the election so far has been a really unedifying spectacle of the most basic kind of political reporting. And I've, I've got to hand it to uh, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, who, who actually created a bit of a circuit breaker unexpectedly last week when the Prime Minister tried to gaslight the nation on the why there was no Federal Integrity Commission yet. The Age and the Sydney Morning Her Herald actually blew the whistle. They wrote a really strong editorial against the government on this attempted gaslighting about their failure to deliver on a Federal Integrity Commission. They ran the very critical editorial on their front pages and had splash page one leads on this integrity ish commission issue. And I thought, wow, you know, that, that's really good, you know, high level return to policy, substantive policy and the real issues. And it was very helpful at the end of a week where, you know, it was who remembered what number and who didn't. Um, and I think in that action, the Herald and the Age actually showed journalists the way back to the higher road on reporting uh, and whether that has an enduring impact over the next four and a half weeks uh, to, to polling day, I don't know, but God, I hope it does. Yeah, I do remember seeing them say that they would normally withhold their preference for a certain party or endorsement of a certain party until right at the end of the election campaign. But they said that they would be very reluctant to endorse the Liberal Nationals because of their current ICAC policy and the fact that essentially it is such a bare-bones, very minimal accountability-type model. And also it seems that Morrison doesn't actually want it to be introduced. It's only been tabled in Parliament. Look, it's a, I've never seen anything like this in federal politics ever. This is the worst gaslighting I've ever seen for, for the Prime Minister to say that... His government has not delivered on a Federal Integrity Commission because Labor wouldn't agree to the bill before it was even introduced into Parliament, is so utterly mad. To, for him to think he could get away with that argument shows how debased uh, he thinks political reporting is in Australia. And thank God the Age and the Herald pushed back. Um, in fact, the government's proposal is even worse than that. I've, I've just uh, filed a review of Stephen Charles and Catherine Williams' new book, Keeping Them Honest, uh, the case for a genuine national integrity commission and other vital democratic reforms. I, I'm, that'll be coming out in the next Australian book review. And these two very good lawyers review the government's draft bill and say, in fact, the bill protects politicians from scrutiny. It doesn't actually apply or make it possible to apply scrutiny to them. It's a terrific book. Do do read it mm. if you get a chance. You should interview them. But, I am actually. I'm going to be. Oh, good. <laughs> Funnily enough. That's good, very, very good. So for the Prime Minister to, to think he could run that argument and get away with it and have it work for him just goes to show what monkeys he thinks Australian journalists are, that they would fall for it. Uh, but you know what? If, if the age and the Sydney Morning Herald hadn't called it out, I'm not sure the media would have, which is a real worry. It is a real worry. They did kind of seem to apply the blowtorch to him on it for one day, uh, but it didn't seem to be a sustained criticism, given that it is such a major broken promise and that they don't appear to want to renew the promise for the next term is even more concerning. And you mentioned there Stephen Charles, a former Supreme Court judge who you know, wrote that op-ed with his co-author in 
the age, and it, he said, pork barrelling is not only political corruption, it is a breach of the rule of law and an assault on our democracy. So he's using very strong wording there, and it is all true. But it seems to also be because Scott Morrison has been using very inflammatory language because he was really essentially calling IBAC and New South Wales Corruption Commission as well a kangaroo court, which has gotten a lot of uh, lawyers and barristers and QCs noses out of joint for even suggesting that our current corruption bodies are less than fair. And, and that's one of the skillful things that Stephen Charles and Catherine Williams do in their book, Keeping Them Honest. They, they let readers join the dots and work out what complete bunkum that argument is. The, the things that ICAC in New South Wales does and IBAC does in, in Victoria and equivalent commissions around the country do at the state level is a completely regular part of our civil life. It's the way the courts operate. It's the way royal commissions operate. And God knows the, the government has established a few of those and was quite happy for for interrogations to happen in public in the way that they claim is actually kangaroo courtish. And if you, if you want to look at the basic evidence, I mean, there are three Liberal New South Wales ex-premiers who were felled by ICAC, Nick Greiner, uh, Gladys Berejiklian and Barry O'Farrell, who all have big jobs in private and public life now. Uh, so it's not as though their reputations have been enduringly affected by it. But look, the, the thing is, this can seem like an arcane issue to some people who are very activated on other issues. But the truth is, if you don't have a government of integrity where wrongdoers can be brought to account, then it's hard to make good policy stick in any, any area. And of course, the classic is climate change. You know, if you want to stop the energy oligarchs uh, liaising with the media oligarchs to keep this great big bonfire of carboniferous fuels being delivered by Australia, then you've got to be able to hold politicians to account on policy. So this is a really core issue. It is a core issue. And I'm quite surprised that climate change hasn't been part of our conversation yet. Perhaps it will eventually, uh, once Labor starts to talk about their policy more, because there is a good story there about the opportunities for the economy and also certainty for people wanting to invest in renewable energy. But we have seen Scott Morrison be, quote unquote, ambushed, but I would just say approached by regular voters out and about on the campaign trail and wanting to talk about climate change with him, younger people. And he essentially just walks away as soon as he starts to hear the words climate. I'm quite surprised that even that isn't something that's reported on, is highlighted, is the level of complete avoidance that Scott Morrison has on this topic uh, to the point where it's almost very disrespectful to average Australians who do want to raise it with him. His election prospects rely on him avoiding engagement on any of those substantive issues because he knows that the danger for him is voters joining the dots in their mind between his underperformance on a range of issues, including climate. And this is, you know, it's, it's obvious for people who tend to vote Labor or Green. They know what they're doing. They're going to vote Labor and Green, right? It's the people in the middle that the person, the party who wins the election has got to capture. And those people in the middle tend to be centrist voters who, you know, sometimes vote Labor, sometimes vote Liberal. And what the government is very, very worried about is those kind of centrist, soft Liberal voters in typically coalition seats like Kuyong and Goldstein in Melbourne, uh, like Wentworth and Warringah in New South Wales, who they might typically vote Conservative, but they're smart 
people, they understand climate policy, they think the cl government's climate policy is rubbish. So to the extent that Morrison and the coalition wants to hold on to those soft centrist voters who might drift off to Labor or the Greens or an independent candidate, they're desperate that these issues, uh, climate, integrity commission, gender equity, not be part of the election discussion. And Labor is finding it very hard to get it, get them on the agenda when journalists are obsessed with these kind of gaff issues. Um, I really liked the comment of Warwick McCubbin, uh, an ANU economist and former Reserve Bank board member who's, you know, no raging lefty, I can tell you. He tweeted this week, I wonder what voters are more concerned about, gas or graft? So let's hope these little kind of points of light in the election debate take off and we get much more substantive discussion on real issues rather than football reporting. Yeah. Well, one policy area that the coalition feel that they are strong in, as we always hear over and over, is the economy. And they focused on that last week for quite a, a lot of the time. And I was surprised because I'm not quite sure that their strength is the economy. And we didn't really see much pushback from journalists around that narrative that he was trying to weave with his policy announcements uh, that he was making. One of them that I mentioned last week was the 1.3 million jobs he was supposedly going to create, but as we discovered, was literally only what was already projected in the budget figures. And also, you know, he was at that factory that um, actually we found out later on is sending a third of their workers offshore to Vietnam. Uh, and he was announcing his great uh, economic and manufacturing policies last week and, and forestry policies with this as a backdrop. And we still didn't really see much critique of that. So if we look at the areas that they wanted, you know, journalists to focus on, the general public to focus on. To me, I didn't really see that there was a great deal of light or scrutiny held up to what he was offering. And I wondered what your thoughts were, whether you had a similar view. Well, that's true. And this is part of Morrison's technique and it has worked for him so well historically. It's very much a, look here, there's a shiny thing. Look over there, another shiny thing. And he keeps moving onto the next shiny thing before Anyone can go, wait, what, wait, and, and do what you just did, which is sit back, review, critique, and go, well, that's not right. Um, so to the extent that he can just keep voters' eyes moving from one shiny thing to another on the evening news, it has worked great for him so far. But, you know, Labor has got to keep chiselling away. The Greens, the Independents have got to keep chiselling away at getting the debate onto the real issues. And you know what? They need a lot more help from journalists. Now, journalists are under pressure Unfortunately, herd psychology can take hold and you, you've got to remember how these journalists are actually physically handled during this period. There's a whole bunch that are travelling with the Prime Minister, a whole bunch that are travelling with the opposition leader and you're if, essentially in a little hermetically sealed bubble while you're moving along and, and often at, at week's end journalists are swapped over between the different sides so that they don't get kind of captured totally. So... Again, to the extent that the caravan keeps moving on, it's it's hard for people to perhaps stand back and do the sort of critique you've just done on economic policy. On the other hand, it's their job to be able to do that. And, yeah. uh, of course, the idea that the Coalition of Superior Economic Managers to Labor is the biggest furphy in Australian politics. Um, a couple of economists have done analyses of the last 50 years of Australian macroeconomic history. And on average, Labor's macroeconomic figures have, have been better than the coalitions. For example, on average over the last 50 years, 
uh, government spending as a proportion of GDP has been lower on average under Labor than the coalition. Now, I don't want to freak you out by introducing a random thing here, but bear with me. The truly awful United Australia Party, Clive Palmer, Craig Kelly, you know, may they go to political hell as soon as possible, they actually have one brilliant and accurate graph in their generally horrific advertising. And it is a graph of Australian government debt over the past few decades. And it actually shows the point that Labor, Labor's Jim Chalmers keeps trying to cut through with, and it's this. Our debt as a nation, our government debt, has gone through the roof. And it went through the roof, started ballooning out massively well before the pandemic. And if you compare it to the levels under previous governments, including Labor governments, it's nowhere near as bad. And it's the elephant in the room in this election. The government's mismanagement of Australia's net position, its lackness on spending, its, its inability to get real quality outcomes for huge, huge spending is kind of the elephant in the room. And it's a complicated thing to explain. It will probably never be properly debated during this election campaign, though I'm hoping it will perhaps centre in some of the leaders' debates if Albanese can get it up. Um, but, you know, the idea that the Coalition of Superior Economic Managers is simply wrong, and if there was one thing that could be punctured during an election campaign that needs to for all time, it would be that. It's not going to happen this time, unfortunately. It may not happen ever, but... You know, it's important for thinking people to bear that in mind and share that knowledge because we need votes that are informed by reality, not by fiction. Yeah, absolutely. We need the issues to be scrutinised. Uh, I did watch Insiders for everyone else's sake and Andrew... <laughs> I was going to say, why? Why did you do that? I know, I know. I don't know why. Mainly for radio. So you're welcome, everyone, and you should subscribe to Triple R because I watch Insiders for you. <laughs> you too. Uh, and Andrew Probin from the ABC, he said that Morrison is happier campaigning than governing. I don't know if he really understood what he said there and the kind of subtext to what he said and how ridiculous it seems in a sense that we're still talking about the coalition being strong in this election campaign when really it's basically smoke and mirrors. As you said, it's, you know, holding shiny things up and hoping we're all magpies. I wanted to then contrast that with Anthony Albanese, who everyone says isn't a good campaigner based on his first week. He hasn't had his baptism of fire soon enough and now he's really being tested. But perhaps he would be better off governing because he has such a brilliantly uh, expert cabinet and front bench and, you know, it has great promise and obviously they've got far more detailed policies than the coalition does. So I wondered, could you contrast the two for me and perhaps focusing on Anthony Albanese more so given uh, your expertise in Labor politics and how you think the two go uh, with that particularly funny quote in mind. One of the things about Anthony Albanese is this is his first federal election campaign as leader. And you know what it's like when you do something for the first time. It can often be a bit different from what you expect. I wrote a column in the Nikkei Asia newspaper this week where I, I opened saying, they say federal election campaigns are like finals footy. You know, they, it's just played at a different level oh, my God, I've committed the sin of a football analogy. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> but it's true. It's completely different. You know, it's it's at a much more intense level. It's much more uh, figuratively physical, if you like. 
And I don't think Anthony Albanese was prepared for that massive step up in pressure, intensity and attack. Now, any, he probably knew theoretically, you know, his inner observer probably knew it was going to be like that, but to experience it is another thing. I cannot say anything, but he shouldn't have made those basic errors. However, to see the asymmetry in the last day or two as the Prime Minister has made a couple of, you know, equally uh, silly slips, the asymmetry between the pounding Albanese got from the media last week compared to the way they've let a couple of equivalent slips by the Prime Minister over the last couple of days just, you know, disappear into the, the reporting, you know, nowheresville, um, mm. has been very striking. And there's going to be a big post-mortem on the media after this election, I think, because we expect a lot from our journalists. Historically, our journalists have been very good. But there seems to have been a cultural break in that, you know, the ecosystem's perhaps not so diverse anymore, uh, we're lacking a few silver silverbacks to really set the tone the way they used to. And I think really there needs to be a bit of soul searching in the press gallery about just what reporting is and isn't. Now, we know that the Murdochcracy has been at it for 100 years trying to skew Australian elections. And Rupert Murdoch's, Murdoch's not the only media oligarch in town. Kerry Stokes is uh, over in the West pretty much the same. But we really expect the ABC to be way better. And I think the pattern of programming and also the editorial approach for reporting at the ABC probably could do with a bit of a, a root and branch review too. Um, the ABC has excellent journalists, but I think that, you know, reinforcing good reporting culture and concentrating on uh, the meat, not the potatoes of the campaign is, is something that needs to be really strongly reinforced because, you know, everything we get as voters in this campaign pretty much is mediated through journalists. You know, that's why they're called the media. They're in between us and the politicians. So an excellent media is essential to a well-functioning democracy and we've probably got to take a bit of a look at, at this campaign in that respect afterwards. Yes, you're right. People aren't watching the live streams of press conferences like we are. And one thing that I noticed in the ABC's coverage is that Albanese's press conferences do get cut off quite frequently to go to Scott Morrison's, but also that even the banners along the bottom of the the screen, uh, the other day when Scott Morrison was announcing funding some patrol boats or, or army boats in Western Australia, it literally said government to fund patrol boats. Now, we are in caretaker period, although they have been the incumbents, you know, it seems that they keep getting this kind of air of inevitability that they are the government and it will continue and they're just going to fund this because they're already in a position as the government to do so. And similarly, you know, on Good Friday, Scott Morrison turned up with Josh Frydenberg and broke his campaigning truce to announce that the government would provide $2 million to the Good Friday appeal and, you know, was campaigning basically by doing that. So I wondered what your thoughts were on on that, the fact that they're reported of as having this sense of incumbency and that that perhaps also gives them an edge and a sense of it's inevitable that they might get in. That's, look, you're 100% right. Your observations are completely spot on. And, you know, one would expect those kinds of poor approaches from the Murdoch press, say, you know, although there are some good journalists there too, some great exceptions. But when it comes to the ABC, they really need to set the standard. And there are just too many examples. You know, you've just said those examples. 
Uh, I have two from yesterday. Now, I, I try to remain calm on Twitter, but I, I just lost it yesterday over the fact that I've been working on academic matters all morning. I turned onto the noon ABC television news to find out what had happened in the campaign this morning. They said, you know, welcome to the noon news, and then they immediately crossed to an extended, unexpurgated coverage off the top, a direct feed from the Prime Minister's press conference in Perth. I could not believe it. So I switched to the other ABC channel, which has the news at, at noon. They were carrying the same extended, off-the-top, live feed from the Prime Minister's press conference. I, I just could not believe it. You know, one channel would have been bad enough for, the, for, it, for both channels at a time when many people expect uh, to be able to tune in and get an intelligent, non-partisan uh, assessment of what's happened in the campaign during the morning. Appalling. Then in yeah. the evening news, the reporter who did the main television news story on the Albanese campaign last night in the ABC News included some footage from Albanese's visit to the Blues Festival. Now, the reaction of the audience to him at that appearance has been covered quite extensively. Initially, there was talk of him getting cheers, then boos, then it emerged that he started speaking about whatever it was, arts policy or something, and the cheers started again. The only snippet we got in the news story was him being booed. Now, that reporter's an intelligent reporter. They must have known there was at least a mixture of cheers and boos. Why only show the boos? It's, it's just unprofessional reporting. Mm. And I'm, I'm a lifelong ABC lover. I'm a former ABC journalist, and I think there's a, a very deep need for a review of reporting standards and culture in the ABC after this election because... You know, we know there's some pretty rubbish reporting in Australia, but the ABC's a haven for high-end reporting and we've got to bring that culture back to where it used to be and really get some good reporting standards going again. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for sharing those examples. I know that that certainly doesn't correlate to what Jimmy Barnes thought happened that night. Um, his son was tweeting about what he um, said happened. But uh, let's talk about Labor in particular, because they do seem to want to be taking some of those centre voters. And we have seen them say that they will not review the job seeker rate and uh, that they won't be changing it anytime soon. That perhaps might be a signal to the centre voters that Labor is a bit different now. They're trying to appeal to coalition voters who might be tougher on welfare. They still do have a focus on um, social issues like the NDIS, which is going to be announced their policy today at 10am, and we've seen their Medicare announcement recently. But I wonder, when you're looking at the topics that have been covered recently that Labor has been announcing, the policy areas that they've been focusing on, do you think that they have been trying to appeal to a broader set of voters? And do you think they perhaps need to do more on that front? Like, what do they need to do to actually ensure that they do win and bring along uh, the voters that are needed to get the extra seats to, to win government? Because it seems that uh, it's putting a lot of people potentially on edge, Labor voters, that uh, the polls are tightening and commentators are wondering whether this is a repeat of 2019. So the first thing to say is that polls always tighten during campaigns. So everyone needs to take a bit of a chill pill about what's going on in, in the polling. Second thing is, Bill Shorten was a deeply disliked leader and he only very narrowly lost the 2019 election. Anthony Albanese is not disliked the way Bill Shorten 
is. The third thing is that to get anything done at all in Australian politics to improve it, the government's got to change. And to get that change, the party that does it cannot scare the horses because if you scare off the centrist voters, you are doomed. You cannot win. So, yes, Anthony Albanese is trying to run a pretty sensible, tidy centrist campaign, get a few key messages across that signal more broadly what his government would be like. And essentially, he's projecting it will be a Hawke-Keating-style government in the sense that it will be strong on social justice, strong on the environment, strong on gender issues. He's promised an integrity commission before the end of the year. And he's done this successfully. You know, he, he had a bad first week, but overall strategically in his three years as opposition leader, he has managed to, to position the Labor Party very well to win office and actually get something on. And the number one way he's done that is, A, he's stopped Labor doing anything nutso on the policy front that the government could create a gigantic scare campaign over. For example, franking credits last time. Uh, there's been nothing wild like that from, from the Albanese Labor opposition. And the second thing is he's managed, by keeping his own opposition operation pretty tidy and tight, to keep attention on the government's shortcomings. And his approach is really, do you want three more years of Morrison coalition government and all of the policy implications of that or not? So that was the Prime Minister's triumph last week to get attention off the performance of his government. And Albanese's challenge now is to get it back on that. Uh, so I think people should expect Labor to keep signalling on things like childcare, energy policy, and a range of other kind of core issues that really matter to voters. But apart from that, I think the rest of the campaign, if Labor's to win, needs to be back on the Morrison government, how it governed, whether it governed well enough, enough and whether people want another three years of it. I agree. And one particular thing that will be interesting is the leaders' debate tomorrow night, which interestingly is going to be on Sky News, so perhaps not everyone will be able to watch it. But I wonder, you know, whether he will use this as an opportunity to perhaps go quote-unquote negative to focus on their record rather than the coalition always wanting to talk about when Labor was in, in office 10 years ago, which, you know, seems quite hilarious. Do you think that he needs to go more negative than he has been? Because he seems to have been a little bit reluctant to go hard on this issue and all of their failings, which when you actually look at them and read them out, are quite staggering. Like he, he seems to be, you know, in a perfect position at this election to be able to weaponize these against the Liberal Nationals. So I wonder, do you think he's gone far enough and could he go much further than he has? Well, I think he's been actually very skillful over these three years of opposition in doing the necessary critiques, but not being not doing it in a thuggish, bullying kind of way. And I think the, the leaders' debates are going to be so interesting because you've really got two contrasting kinds of masculinities happening there, haven't you? Um, Morrison's, you know, the bullish, bustling, thuggish, you know, overbearing, classic kind of toxic masculinity type of guy. I mean, and that really characterises his overall politics too. Whereas Albanese has very successfully been the reasonable man doing quiet, intelligent critiques and just pointing out uh, rather than trying to thug his opposite number 
with the truth. So I, I actually think it's going to be fascinating seeing in a controlled situation of a debate where there's a, a compare kind of managing the situation. I, I suspect Albanese's reasonable man critique is actually going to be pretty powerful and attractive uh, and effective over the thuggish kind of knock-em-over kind of approach that Morrison is usually so success, successful with. I think we're in for a bit of an interesting time. It's interesting you say that because we did see in the papers even this kind of critique of Albanese being so soft now supposedly because he lost weight and, you know, is healthy and, you know, looks well-dressed. And they said uh, there were pictures comparing him from before saying, you know, he used to be a, a traditional labour, authentic working-class guy and now, look, he's changed and he's become, you know, very metro and, and all this kind of thing. And it kind of seemed really absurd at the time. But now that you pointed out those kind of contrasting appearances, it does seem that there is this real critique of masculinity almost. And I wonder which side will appeal to women more because they are, you know, 50% of the population and it appears that Scott Morrison hasn't done all that well with women for most of his prime ministership. Yes, well, <laughs> funnily, Elbo and I were at uni at the same time at Sydney Uni in the early 80s, mid-80s. Uh, we were both doing political economy. And, you know, the elbow I see now is just, you know, the elbow from back then with X decades added. I mean, he, he was, a, you know, a skinny, kind of wiry, whippity kind of guy who loved his music and uh, just lived a normal student-y kind of life. He stacked on a bit of weight over the last few years and then, to his immense credit, got fit, fit for office, literally. Mm. And to his immense credit, I, th I thought that was actually one of the, the Prime Minister's biggest own goals last year was to draw attention to Albanese getting fit because, you know, what do you want, the kind of porker bully or the guy who's worked hard to get fit for office? I mean, no-brainer really, isn't it? Um, and I think, you know, if you're a, if you're a Morrison-style voter, you know, you're just going to go with Morrison. But if you're a centrist voter and you compare the two, I, I think those... Kuyong voters, those Goldstein voters, those Wentworth voters who look at Albanese, especially the women, will go, well, you know, this is a reasonable man out to do some decent things. So, you know, will Morrison be disadvantaged with his normal persona? I, I suspect so in the debates. Um, I could be totally wrong, but let's see. Let's all watch. Yes, let's. I'm going to. And uh, as I said, we'll... Chris and I will watch for you if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, check out Chris's tweets and we'll see um, how much she holds back. Chris, it's been so great to chat with you and very, very illuminating as I've been seeing people tweeting and telling us so. So thank you for everyone for the lovely feedback there and I uh, hope we can catch up again. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm also really keen to listen to your interview with Stephen Charles and Catherine Williams over Keeping Them Honest. What a cracking book. I can't wait. Yeah, and I'm really excited. Thanks so much, Chris, and I hope you have a great week. Cheers, you too. I've been speaking with Associate Professor Chris Wallace, and she is based at the 5050 by 2030 Foundation at the University of Canberra and is the author of many books, including How to Win an Election. 